ladies. Let's take our Bibles tonight. Please turn to Genesis chapter 2, and we'll finish up the battle of the ages tonight. Genesis chapter 2, and I want to, before we get into the scriptures, wish Lloyd and Beth Simpson happy 40th anniversary today. So congratulations, folks, on 40 years. And then uh, there's also been a conspiracy afloat in our church today. Mira has been conspiring with me to wish her father a happy birthday. 39 years old tomorrow, and she's been sneaking around. Don't forget, Pastor, it's his birthday tomorrow. And while we were singing, she's giving me thumbs up across the room. So, <laughs> so happy birthday, Brother Rudenbeek. We're so happy for you. 39 years tomorrow. I wish I could say I was 39. What's that? It's 38. 38. Oh, Mira. All right. That's okay. Happy 38th birthday. Let's take our Bibles, please. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. I don't think she wanted me to blame her, but I thought I'm not taking the blame. Genesis chapter 2 tonight, and we're going to finish up the battle of the ages. And I started out with a premise that, that there's five statements, not necessarily commands or defined as what God said, this is what we will do, but just simply what God created. And when God creates something, he expects it to last and to be that way. And so there was five premises that we see in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God. The Bible never sets out to prove the existence of God. It's just simply he is. He is God. In the beginning, God created. And so we looked at that. And of course, deity is under attack today, isn't it? Genesis chapter 1 and verse 25, or verse uh, 1 through 25, we looked at in the beginning, God created. And we looked at the six days of creation, and God created everything. And, and what, what bigger thing started brainwashing our schools other than the theory of evolution? Uh, that was the first thing to creep in, wasn't it? Long before we had woke agendas or anything else, we had people saying, no, you children came from monkeys and apes and evolved, which takes away the value and worth of our lives because we aren't created in the image of God. We are just simply primordial ooze that came forth and became a man or a woman or walked on the earth. And so uh, that certainly is under attack today. And then we looked at, let us make man in our image, the very image of God, the image bearers of God. And we looked at that as well a few weeks ago. And then uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we looked at male and female created he them. And of course, that's under attack today. How many of you, you know, if we were to take a survey of everybody in the room that was, say, 60 years and older, you'd say, I never thought I'd see the day. But that's under attack, but certainly it is today. Male and female created he, them. And, and I mean, in the last five or six years, it has just rolled out of control, isn't it? You know, they say that technology, technology doesn't have a steady climb. It gets to a point where there's an invention, and all of a sudden it goes up. You know, just like that. How many, how many of you remember when they invented a cell phone? And I, I remember when they first came out and they had those cellular phones in a little suitcase. Remember that? And you'd carry the whole cell in the car with the big battery and it'd have to be plugged in. And, and I, Mr. Ronson, I think you bought one for your kids when they started driving because you didn't like the way they drove. And, and so they had that big old thing. Well, it wasn't long. Within 20 years, I mean, your whole life is on, in the palm of your hand, isn't it? All the information of the world is right there on the internet. And it's incredible how technology just goes like that. Sin does the same thing, doesn't it? It just creeps in a little bit, and all of a sudden, once it's got the door open, it just zoom, 
just takes off on a trajectory, and that's what we're seeing uh, in these things today. And so today, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 2 and verse 21. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife. How many of you know marriage is under attack today? Marriage is under attack today, and it has been for a long time, and we're not talking about just divorce and things like that. That's been going on for centuries. But in the last couple uh, decades, especially in this last generation, we have seen marriage redefined. We've seen in, in 2005, Canada passed a law saying that anything you define as marriage is okay. Men can marry men, women can marry women and such. And we said, well, that's going to lead to other things. And they said, oh, no, it won't, but it has. In fact, it has. In 20, 2015, the United States followed suit, and they too made those laws and passed those laws. And so that's where we're at today. But let's look, look what the Bible says. And tonight's message isn't going to be about divorce and remarriage or um, uh, homosexual unions or anything like that. It's simply going to present you the truth. And I'm a firm believer that we need to know what the truth is so that we can spot a counterfeit. And if we know what the truth is, we'll know that everything else is a perversion of that truth and against God's law. And so let's look, Genesis chapter 2, and look at verse 18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. How many of you men can attest to that? I will make him a help meet for him. By the way, it's not help meet all one word, it's a help meet. The word meet means suited. A help that is suited just for him. That's the purpose of a wife. Somebody that will complement and is suited for you. When I think about, uh, the Bible talks about in the New Testament, it uses that word. It talks about how we are to be clean vessels that we might be meet for the master's use or suited for the master's use. That's the use of this word here. So you're to be a help meet for one another. And out of the ground, verse 19, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought him unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a help meet for him. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh thereof, or instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word tonight, and we pray that you'd help us to understand the very important biblical concept of marriage. Lord, we're not necessarily going to get into divorce or counterfeits of marriage or what the society has done. But we just want to know your definition. What is it you desire for marriage? And Lord, I pray that you would help us to take that and understand that this is God's standard and help each of us to try to live up to it. Father, help us, Lord, with your spirit tonight. We need your help to teach us, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me encourage you, if you would, turn to Mark chapter 10. In Mark chapter 10, we read that the Lord Jesus Christ quotes Genesis chapter 2. 
Now, when we were working our way through Mark, and we got Mark chapter 10, I skipped that passage on purpose because I knew that eventually we'd get here tonight. And so let's look at Mark chapter 10, and I want you to notice some things. Let me make some comments before we read our scripture in Mark chapter 10. And um, something that I, I, I believe is very important, the purpose of clarity. And that's the first point of our message tonight, the purpose of clarity. Now, let it serve as an introduction to the rest of the message on marriage. Here's some things that we need to understand. In the Word of God, we'll sometimes read a prophecy or we'll read a parable. Prophecies and parables are not always clear, are they? There's a lot of imagery that comes into the prophecies. And we read, my wife and I, uh, we, were, we just finished reading through the book of Revelation, and we were reading that every morning, and there were some chapters, you know, things jump out and say, okay, I understand that, and I see that, and there's other parts, and we're like, wow, there's some imagery that is there, and we wonder what John saw 2,000 years ago, how that translates in the future when it comes to pass. And now we thought, well, that wasn't hard enough, let's read Ezekiel. So now we're reading Ezekiel through, and we're just kind of enjoying some of the prophecies, but we find a lot of imagery. The parables were the same. The Lord Jesus Christ had to interpret a lot of parables, didn't he? The, the famous phrase we read in a lot of parables is for, let he who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And so if we were able to understand those things, and the Lord spoke in parables, so certain things would be hidden from certain people. The Bible calls them the mysteries of Scripture. And so that's what we see when it comes to uh, the parables and the prophecy. But when it comes to precepts and principles, God wants us to have clarity. All right? And so when we are talking about this thing about marriage tonight, I want you to understand there's no mystery about it. God is very clear what he created, what he designed, and what he intends to happen in the married life, all right? And so don't let them fool you. They have come out today, or not today, but maybe a decade ago, with what they call the Queen James Bible. You can only imagine what that's about where they've taken the names of God and made them gender neutral and they've taken all the references to the proper type of marriage and they've twisted and perverted those things and made it so that, um, that the homosexual crowd will be happy with that rendering of the Bible. I, I'm not understand, I, I just don't understand why unsaved people would want a Bible at all, but somehow they want to justify their behavior and so they twist and turn the Bible. Listen, God is very clear when he talks about marriage. I want to be, preface all my comments with that tonight. So we see the purpose of, of clarity. Now look, if you will, in Mark chapter 10 and verse 1 through 12. And, and so how is he clear? First of all, we must always look at the context. I want you to see the context of Scripture. Mark chapter 10 and verse 1. And he arose from thence and cometh into the coast of Judea by the farther side of Jordan, and the people resort unto him again, and as he was wont, he taught them again. And the Pharisees came to him and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife, tempting him? And he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. And Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart he wrote unto you this precept. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. That's from Genesis chapter 2, verse 28. For this cause, or sorry, verse 27. For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife. That's Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. 
and they twain shall be one flesh, so then they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath put joined together, let not man put asunder. And in the house his disciples asked him again of the same matter, and he saith unto them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her, and if a woman shall put away her husband to be married to another, she committeth adultery. Now, I'm not going to spend much time on divorce tonight, but I, I, I want you to notice that from the very plain context of Scripture, this is talking about marriage and divorce, isn't it? We don't need to be Greek and Hebrew scholars understand that the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in their context tonight, he's very plain. As a matter of fact, he's quoting Genesis 1 and chapter 2 as he talks about marriage and God's design for man and woman. It's very plain. When the Pharisees came and they were tempting him, the Lord Jesus Christ would often, often with the Pharisees, answer them in a parable. But did he do that this time? No, he says... God gave you a precept, and let me tell you what it is. And he laid out for them the very laws of Scripture regarding marriage. So the context of Scripture is very important. But I want you to notice within this context the clarity of the Savior. Look at verse 3 with me. And he answered and said to them, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and put her away. And Jesus answered and said to them, for the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. There's the definition of marriage, by the way. Male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh, and they are no more twain, but one flesh. And so I want you to see as we think about the clarity of the Savior, notice what he says or shows us first, God's design. What is God's design for marriage? Verse 3, male and female. That's marriage. The Bible says, let every man have his own wife. Husbands, love your wives. There's no such thing as two wives or two husbands or anything of the sort that is not anything that the scripture knows of, that is foreign to God. And so God created us and he says from the beginning, God made them male and female. That's God's design. But then we see in verse four, God's desire. Notice what it says in verse four. And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement to put her away. And Jesus answered and said to them, for the hardness of your hearts, he wrote you this precept. The law allowed for divorce because of the hardness of man's heart, but that was not God's desire. God's desire was for marriage to last. Jesus makes it very clear that marriage is between one man and one woman to last until death. That's God's decision, by the way, not yours, when death takes place. What is the fallout of not following God's plan? I could probably go around the room tonight and every one of you could say, here's what happens when a family divorces. Here's what happens where we don't take marriage seriously. We see broken homes. We see children without a parent. We see a perversion and a threat to society. We see a redefinition of marriage that takes place where everything else that comes under the sun is allowed and yet sinful before God. And when sin is allowed to be displayed openly, it causes others, usually our children, to stumble. Isn't that true today? 
I mean, it's only been literally, this has been a legal situation for 18 years, and now it is accepted full heartedly in our schools. Not even, let me rephrase that, it is promoted wholeheartedly in our schools. And so we have to be very careful what we allow. So God's design is male and female, and God's desire is that it would last until death. Now let me show you something. That's just the purpose of clarity, my first point. That's introduction. Let me give you this one tonight, the principle of cleaving. The principle of cleaving. What does the word mean, cleaving? Look at verse 6. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh, so that they are no more twain, but one flesh. I want you to notice the command. What does the word cleave mean, by the way? Do you know what it means? It means to glue together. Do we have any woodworkers in here? Anybody ever worked with wood? Raise your hand. Some of you is. Have you, have you glued wood together, laminated it together, and put some clamps on there? You want it? What is the purpose? It's not a temporary fixture, is it? If you want it to be temporary, you might put a screw in it so you could take the screw back out later and separate it. Sometimes we'll do that. We'll, we'll tack something together. We, we'll, you ever driven a nail into something but leave it sticking out just a little bit because you you know, you're just trying to hold it together for a while. And then you'll, you'll pull it apart once you get everything set where you want it. Yeah, I've done that. Put a screw in it maybe. But when you glue it and you clamp it and you want that glue to dry, you want that laminated together, you do not want it coming apart. That's what the word cleave means. And notice God's command here regarding cleaving that we find here in verse 6. It says, from the beginning. This is God's plan for eternity. This was God's plan at the start. When God created Adam and placed him in the garden, he brought Eve to be a help meet for him, suited for him. The idea was that they would spend their lives together. They were joined together. They were glued together. And that was God's purpose. And then we see God's purpose. So I want you to turn back to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 18. So we're going back to the original scriptures here, and I want you to see God's purpose when we talk about the, the command or the principle of cleaving tonight, look at verse 8. Why does God want us to cleave? And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a help meet for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast. And I want you to jump down uh, all the way down to verse 23. And it says, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now there are some purposes that God has. <coughs> Excuse me. For cleaving, number one, companionship. Companionship. Notice what verse 18 says. It is not good that the man should be alone. It is not good that the man should be alone. Now, let me just say this, and I'm not trying to read into Scripture or add to Scripture. If God created woman first, I think he would have said it's not good for a woman to be alone. How many of you like being alone? Now, there's times, I suppose, where you say, well, I, I would love a few minutes alone. I'd love to be able to sit and read a book or, you know, have a cup of tea and just enjoy some time alone and apart. And, and I understand that. We helped uh, Matthew and Emily move a couple weeks ago. And, and my daughter said, uh, I said, what do you want us to do? And so Jeff Masker came with us and he drove the moving truck and Matthew had a car and Emily had her car and, and we had our car. And we said, well, I said, what do you want us to do? And she says, I want you to take Theo. 
We said, okay. <laughs> so my eye was still a bit of a mess, and my, my wife will let me drive, but she wouldn't let me drive with Theo. So she got in the front, and I got in the back with Theo and put him in the car seat, and we drove. And I said to Emily, I said, are you going to be okay for the next five hours without Theo? And she goes, oh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to quiet and just driving, maybe putting on some music. And you see, you, you ladies know when you're a mom, it's 24-7 until, until a time where they go off to school. You know, five years. And so she's, I'm just looking for that time. But for the most part, it's not good to be alone. We don't like to be alone. We are, we are dependent upon one another. That is how God created us. And so God said to Adam, I'm going to make you a help meet for you because you need companionship, but also completion. Completion. Notice what it says in verse 18, a help meet or suited for you. But notice in verse 23 what Adam says about her. He says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. He's saying, she is very much my flesh. We are one flesh. Because she has a, a help that has been meet or created perfectly for me, she has completed me. And so we see the principle of completion, companionship and completion. Number one, she was made to be complementary. Made to be complementary. Isn't it interesting that, I don't, I don't know if you know this, but men and women are different. Has anybody noticed that? Yeah? Some say men are from Mars and women are from Venus. I don't know. I think we're all created by God here on earth, but we're definitely different. Different strengths, different emotions, different abilities, all that's made to complement one another. That's, that's made to, to help one another and to be put together. Mark chapter 10 and verse 8, our other text tonight says this, and they twain shall be one flesh so that they are no more twain but one. That's how God created us. And so we see in completion, we are meant to be complementary, or made to be complementary, but it was meant for conception. Meant for conception. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28, it says this, and God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living creature that moveth upon the earth. Now, I'm not going to get into a biology lesson tonight. Parents, that's your job. But men, two men married cannot pre reproduce. Two women married cannot reproduce. It is not God's plan. When Adam was given Eve, and, and by the way, that's why I can't understand for the life of me evolution. If over billions and billions of years, a two-cell organism developed into a little fish, and then it grew legs, and it came out on the land, and, and, and developed into an ape, and then to a man, what are the chances that another two-cell organism did the same thing side by side at the exact same rate, one male and one female, so they could reproduce all along the way? to keep the species going for those billions and billions of years. What are the odds, even if that happened, one wasn't in Canada and one in Australia? No, God created them and put them together. They were perfect and complementary to one another that they might be able to reproduce. God made it that way on purpose. So I want you to notice they were made to be complementary and they were meant for conception. 
Listen, when you step outside of God's plan, let me say that if everybody in the world stepped outside of God's plan, the world would end in one generation. There'd be no more children. No more children. Because God created us for that purpose. So we see tonight, I want you to notice the command. We see God's plan and God's purpose. But notice the change. Look back in the book of Mark now. There's a change that takes place under this principle of cleaving. In verse 7. And listen, if you're not married very long, you need to get this. If you were to ask me, Pastor, what is your greatest concern for young couples? This is it. Verse 7. Look at just let's read it first. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. When you get married, there ought to be a change take place. I I worry, I worry, and it's usually young men, about young men that will leave their wife at home and go off with the guys and play video games and do all those childish things instead of putting away those childish things like Paul said. You know what he said? When I became a man, I put away childish things. Hey, you need to leave some old relationships and cleave to your wife. That needs to be the most, in other words, you were in your parents' home, and, and, and by the way, it's not just men. The Bible also has a portion where it says that women are to leave and to cleave as well. And so when we leave, that means that the, there's a relationship change. You were maybe under the authority of your parents, but now you cleave to your wife, and you create a new home, and that needs to be a priority. And I'm not saying you're always glued to the hip, and there's not times where you go and do things. I understand. But listen, uh, so I'm concerned sometimes when our young people are two, three, four nights a week out with a mom and maybe a baby at home. That is not God's purpose. God's purpose is to leave those relationships and cleave to your wife. So notice the change that takes place in the principle of cleaving. But I want you to notice in Mark chapter 10, the permanency of cleaving. The permanency of cleaving. Verse 9. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Biblical marriage is to be permanent. Now, let me say, you say, well, pastor, I've been divorced. I've been divorced. And by the way, 50% of the world, the the stats are about 52% of people will get divorced. And that doesn't change when it comes into the church. It's almost exactly the same. And you say, well, I've been divorced and I I don't know. Listen, here's the thing. Aren't you God? God can forgive anything. And God's grace is sufficient. I heard a preacher one time who had been a divorced man. And he was preaching and he says, God hates divorce. He says, God hates my divorce. Sometimes as Baptists, we elevate that sin above all other sin, don't we? <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not here to, to beat you down tonight. or I'm, I'm here to tell you God's grace is sufficient. He can forgive you. And, and thank God if he has brought you through and, and you have found the grace of Jesus Christ to be sufficient. But I want you to notice God's plan is permanency. What therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder. First of all, we see it's a spiritual union. God has joined you together. When you take those vows before God, there's something that I say. I, I, I have different weddings that I'll do and, and, and you know, different, the sermon's usually always different. I use a different sermon or whatever with the wedding and sometimes I'll change this or that. But there's something that I always will say in every wedding that it is a solemn 
and lasting union before God. That's God's design. When you say for better or for worse, you may not know how worse it's going to get. When you say in sickness and in health, you don't necessarily know what sickness really looks like. When you're 21 or 24 or 28 years old and you're young and you're healthy, you don't know what that means 50, 60, 70 years down the road. And that's why when you take your vow, you need to understand God has put this union together. And God has joined us for life. It is a spiritual union. But then we see in verses 2 through 6, a sinful undermining. Notice what it says. The Pharisees came and asked him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife, tempting him? And he answered and said unto them, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. And Jesus answered and said unto them, for the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. The thing that undermines that spiritual union of marriage is the hardness of our hearts. Sin. It's not to say that everybody that gets divorced has sin, but one of them at least has. The very hardness of our heart that says, I just, we just don't think we can work it out. We're not going to push through. We're not going to get counseling. We're not going to get the help we need. We're not going to pray about this. We're not going to... And they finally give up. There's a hardness of the heart that takes place. A scriptural marriage is one that only is broken by God, and it is meant to last till death. But let me give you one more thing tonight. The principle of cleaving, the permanency of cleaving, but notice this, the perversion of common sense. The perversion of common sense. Can I tell you, I believe with all my heart, that a hundred years ago, if, if we could resurrect some people from a hundred years ago, your grandparents and great-grandparents, even if they did not know the Lord as Savior, they would think this is absolutely crazy what's going on in our world today. There's just all loss of common sense. You know, the scripture says the same thing. I'm going to give you three scriptures. Notice some, some scriptural examples. Turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Here's where the attack comes in. Look at verse 27. It's interesting, I think almost every message that I've preached on this series, we've been in Romans 1 at some point. Because it speaks of our day. Romans chapter 1. And likewise also the men, verse 27, leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one to another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. I'm not going to get into all the nonsense we see in that verse, obviously, but I want you to look at one word, the word natural. The word natural. It means instinctive. This is what God created and is proper. Likewise, the, also the man leaving the natural use of the woman. Listen, when God put Adam and Eve together, it was natural for them to conceive and have children. It was natural for them to be attracted to each other. It was natural for them to fall in love. 
That's what God designed. And Paul says that because of sin, he says to the church at Rome, the things that were common sense, the things that were natural, the things that were instinctive because of sin and a turning away from God, they will leave, leave that which is natural. That's what we see all across our world today. People abandoning what is right and good and holy and God's plan for that which is wicked and sinful because they've turned their hearts away from God. It's the perversion of common sense. Look at another one. Look at verse in the book of Jude. Turn to Jude, verse 7. Jude is right before Revelation. Look at verse 7. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Do you know what strange means? It means not normal. Has anybody ever called you strange? Well, peculiar, I hope. The Bible says we're peculiar people. Sometimes we get called strange or don't talk to a stranger. Strange means not normal. They're odd. The Bible says here that because of sin, these filthy dreamers, these ones that would turn away from God, would be turned over and they'd go after strange flesh. And it's speaking specifically to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. And because of their sin, there's a word named for them from Sodom. It's horrible and wicked. But to, to, be, to go after strange flesh means with uncertain affinity, they don't even know or care anymore, the flesh that they chase. Are, are you getting what I'm saying tonight? The, the perversion of common sense that when we turn to sin and our minds get so polluted, we see by scriptural example in Romans that they'll turn from what is natural and in Jude they'll go after strange flesh. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1, Paul rebukes the church at Corinth because they had a, a man in his church that had taken his father's wife. And here's what he said about it. It is a sin that is not so much as named among the Gentiles. Not even the unsaved people think that's normal. And yet you're allowing it in your church. That's where we are today. We've gone after strange flesh, not we, the world has. We've turned from that which is natural. And it's so against the common sense of nature that is not even named among the Gentiles. So we see some scriptural examples, but let me give you some scriptural exhortations. We'll close with some positive things. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. This is what is under attack today. He said, well, how do we respond to that then? Tell them what God plans for marriage. God desires a man and a woman to be united in marriage. From the beginning, that was God's plan. Genesis chapter 2, that was God's plan. The Bible says Jesus spoke of it in Mark chapter 10. That was God's plan from the beginning, male and female, married forever till death do they part. What God has joined together, let no man put asunder. In Ephesians chapter 5, we read in verse 22, we see the marriage relationship. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. 
Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord his church, for we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined into his wife, unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. That's God's plan. Wives and husbands, to love one another, verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And let me give you one more, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Turn there, 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're almost done. I don't hear pages turning. Keep up with me if you could. First Timothy chapter 3. Look what God says to pastors and deacons. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality and to teach. Verse 12. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. Listen to this, that even in the days of the early church, with the Roman Empire running rampant, with the Jewish religion so far corrupt, there was such a problem with messed up marriages and polygamy and all the rest that even saved people had to be reminded, if you want a pastor or be a deacon... You're the husband of one wife. Can't have three or four wives, only one. Because that is God's plan. Husband and wife forever. Listen, if we were to go into the Greek tonight, I'm not going to do that. Because the English is sufficient. A husband is a man. A wife is a woman. There's no other possible definitions of those scriptures. And so we are to be reminded tonight that as the world goes crazy on this topic, where does, do we stand as a church? Listen, I don't want to make some statement that says, here's where we stand, this is our statement of faith. Here's where we stand, friend. We stand on the word of God. Period. Husbands and wives, male and female, created he them to complement one another, that they might dwell together, cleaving one to another, until death do us part. That is the only biblical definition of marriage. Let's pray. Father, help us, we pray. Lord, this very thing is under attack each and every day. As a matter of fact, we would be considered hateful if we said that we believe marriage is one man and one woman. And Lord, I don't know that there's anybody in this room that would not agree with that statement. And yet it is good for us to be warned and to be aware and Lord, perhaps be able to remember from tonight the, the certain scriptures that we can use to help and show people. Quite frankly, Lord, it's good for us just to know where we stand firmly upon the word of God. And I pray that you'd help us to boldly proclaim it. Father, we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet tonight. And really not a, a hymn of invitation other than this. You know, I understand that there's probably many in this room tonight that have been through a divorce, and I get that. I just want you to know that you can find the grace of God and forgiveness. 
And it's such a wonderful thing to know that his blood is sufficient to wash away all of our sin. And that God can make us clean before him and make us right before him. You don't have to let that thing define you your whole life. Lord, maybe there's some tonight that we just need to say, Lord, protect us. Protect our children. Maybe you need to pray for your children for the right spouse. My wife and I, we do that every, every morning when we pray. We pray for our kids. And we got two married and we got two that are still looking. We hope they're looking. That's what we pray anyway. God, give them the right spouse. Give them somebody that they will go through life with together and that'll complement them and make them better and make them stronger spiritually. And that our prayer, let that be our prayer tonight.